You're listening to Better Fishing with Two Bald Biologists, sponsored by the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission. I'm Corey Oakley, the Assistant Chief of Fisheries Management for the Inland Fisheries Division. And I'm Ben Ricks, Coastal Region Fisheries Supervisor. We are fisheries biologists who are avid anglers. We want to link the work we do as biologists to your fishing. Our goal in this podcast is to use the information we have as an agency to help you catch more fish and learn about our state's great aquatic natural resources. All right, guys, this is our first podcast of 2024. This is eh, third year, two and a half years, however you want to say it. Yeah, we're going into our third year. So we just, before we get rolling, we just want one, Happy New Year. And Mm -hmm. two, hope everybody had a good Christmas. Appreciate you guys' support through all of this. The podcast itself has been a lot better well-received than I could ever imagine. And, you know, folks are enjoying it. Folks are sending us great questions. They love me. I'm not sure about you, but they love me. It's all about Corey. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that's always good. It's been a great way to showcase some of the fisheries in North Carolina. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot from our listeners. I've learned a lot from our biologists. And I'm hopeful that that will continue this year as well. So it's been been a lot of fun. Yep, it's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot as we've gone through it. Hope to learn more this year. We got a good lineup, I think, for 2024 by what I can tell. And we'll be talking about a bunch of fisheries across the state. So I'm excited about it. And we got lists from our staff that we're working on as far as topics. We got lists from you guys. Anytime y'all send me a An idea, I add it to the list, and then as we are trying to incorporate them as we can. And if you have the best idea, you go to the front of the line. That's true. So send in ideas because you might have the best idea. Yeah, your ideas may trump everyone else's. Yeah, everybody else's might be terrible. You never know. But no, it's been a good day. Corey and I actually fished today. Yeah. It was cold. It was cold. And the fish were not biting very well. Full disclosure, you know, not everybody knocks it out of the park every day. Yeah. Sometimes you don't knock it out of the park. We lost more baits today than we caught fish. The fishing tax was pretty high was per high today. fish today. <laughs> it was high today. We lost money today, but that's okay. It was a good time. It was still fun. Good to get out. So that worked out well. So today we're going to talk about, we've talked a lot about really technical fishing, really kind of, what's the best word to say this? You know, musky fishing. Yeah. Like that's very specialized. Very specialized. Probably one of the most specialized things I've ever done, throwing a foot and a half long bait. Yeah. We've talked about, you know, technical bass fishing. We've talked about striper fishing, but really we've kind of touched on it in a couple episodes, but we really haven't talked about like starting from the beginning. And I'll be honest, the other day I went with my wife to a makeup store, not for me, but she needed some a gift card or something for Christmas. I found myself in the fingernail polish aisle because I was like, I could probably paint some baits, some cool colors. But it occurred to me while I was in there. Meanwhile, y'all, Corey's looking at me like, where is this going? (laughs) It occurred to me when I was in that makeup store. That you were in the wrong spot. But anyway, go ahead. That this must be like people who have never fished. This must be what they feel like. You're in a store. That's true. Full of a bunch of Ah, stuff. yeah. Yeah. And you have no clue how it fits together. Yeah. Like any of that stuff. What color do I buy? What is this device? I don't understand. Yeah, what it. is this for? What yeah. does it do? Like, so it kind of, with me, I was like, this is exactly how people who don't know how to fish or haven't fished very much that would like to get into fishing. This must be as lost as they feel. Cause I mean, I haven't worn a whole lot of makeup in my days. You know, you all seen a picture of me probably can totally understand I can vouch that. For that. Yep. So that kind of cluelessness of me in a makeup store may be how some of you feel, you know, that are really first getting in. Because it can be. There's a lot of stuff. It can be overwhelming. There's a lot of crazy price tags on things. And so what we're going to try to do today, at least for part of this, is just to kind of boil it down to kind of some basics. Like there's a creek, a pond, a lake, a river right down the road. What do I need to do to just kind of catch a fish? Like we're not necessarily looking for... Don't worry about the species. Don't worry about how big it is. Right. How do we catch a fish? Right. So, you know, if you are into technical drop shotting on a ledge. (laughs) You might learn something. You might learn something, but this may not be for you. But what we're going to try to do is talk about just some basics, how to get started, what to do, maybe how to approach a few things. 
once you have, you know, some basic tackle and go from there. So, Corey, how do you want to get this rolling? Well, you know, we're in my hometown. We're in New Bern, where you live, and this is where it all started for me. In fact, we actually left out of the boat ramp at the place that I started fishing, which was Lawson Creek Park. It all comes full circle. It all comes full circle, yep. And the reason I bring that up is Lawson Creek Park was probably about a quarter mile from my house. And I think that's probably one of the most important things you can remember when you're getting started is you need to be very local. Yes. You need to be very, very local. I, my dad took me, I was probably maybe three, maybe four, what I can remember. My dad would take me, I had a Snoopy rod, for those of you who remember the Snoopy rods of the 1980s. Now they come in... All kinds. My daughter's is My Little Pony, which is still kind of retro, to yep. be honest. Yeah, but. but it was a, a basically a cheap version of a Zebco 33, little short rod, orange and white Snoopy rod, and... We'd go down to the bank, and how simple we fished when I was a little child was I had a hook, I had a cork, and we caught the bait on the bank. Like, we were catching crickets, we were catching insects, putting it on a hook and putting it out there. So activity number one, yep. kick around in the grass for your bait. Yeah, but for me, you think about it, though, for like a four-year-old, if the bait's right there all the time, you might get a little bored with fishing, but you had that opportunity to go hunting things in the grass, you know, to find your bait, to put on the hook. I mean, it kept my attention and I was interested in it. So it depends on your age, you know, obviously. I mean, that was my very first fishing experience was right here where we went out today. And I say all that to say is it doesn't take a lot and you need to keep it very close to home because you'll be much more consistent, I think, if you fish somewhere that is very convenient to you. If every fishing trip is 30 minutes or an hour away or an hour and a half away, I don't think you'll be consistent with it. You will tend to do something else because it's closer to you. Sure. Yeah. If you live in Rocky Mount and you have aspirations to become a great rainbow trout fisherman. <laughs> well, you might have aspirations to do that, but that, you might not want to start there. That's a tough place to start yeah. because you just your opportunities to practice pretty yeah. low yeah. you know so it's the same thing you want to try to do something that's close to home mainly because you'll get more days on the water days fishing whatever it doesn't have to be this big event you can just you know go a couple blocks down the road yeah and do it for 20 minutes and that's it you don't have to have this giant plan of when i'm gonna do this next you know and we've said it on the podcast before you know if you're looking a place to fish that's an easy thing to do if you'll go to our website. If you'll go to ncwildlife.org and look up where to fish, it's under the fishing it section. It actually says where to it's fish. It actually says where to fish. If you'll look up where to fish, you will find fishing locations all over the state of North Carolina. And I'm pretty sure most people are within, probably within 15 minutes. Some people might have to travel a little further, but there's public bodies of water all over the state that you can fish in from the bank. And you don't need a boat. You don't need all this fancy equipment. You just need some simple things that we'll talk about later. And if you don't have that, particularly in the Piedmont, the Western Coastal Plain, the foothills, a lot of people, if you just walk around and you see farm ponds, walk up to the owner, say, hey, look, I'm trying to learn how to fish. Will you allow me to you know, fish a farm pond? There's going to be a farmer out there. Not all of them, but there's going to be a farmer out there that's going to be like, yeah, sure, have at it. Do make sure you have permission. Yes. Don't just assume yes. you can fish somewhere. That's right. That's especially right. if it's private water, you know. But especially if you have kids, it's hard to tell a kid no, you yeah. know. And if I <laughs> live right down the road, I fished a lot of places when I was a kid that I probably couldn't get access to now. But. Yeah, that's right. So definitely just find a piece of water that's close to home. That's right. Start there, yeah. you know, because there are likely brim, catfish, largemouth bass. You know, if you're in the mountains, probably trout. Yep that are all horny heads, as we've talked about in the past. Yeah. You know, things that will bite a hook fairly regularly that are fairly easy to catch that you don't need seven Plano tackle boxes slapped full of every color, every, you know, this one rattles, that one doesn't, this one's green, that one's yellow. How do I pick what color it is? Like, so that's what we're going to do today is first, start close to home. Second, maybe one of the easiest things to do is exactly what Corey says. A bobber probably like a number two Amberdeen hook yep. and a little split shot and you're golden. It doesn't matter. That will travel everywhere. That will travel from the mountains all the way out to the coast. It will travel. That design has caught more fish in the state of North Carolina, I would say, than probably anything yeah. else. 
And you may find a guy that's got a preference for an oblong cork or a circular Doesn't cork matter. or any of that. None of that stuff really matters. As you fish, you may find that you have a preference. That's right. But it really doesn't matter. So don't get caught up in all the decisions. Just say, I just need to catch a brim. I need a you know small to medium-sized cork, a couple eight to 16-ounce split shots, and a number two Amberdeen hook, and you're golden. So my whole life, until I went to college, short of some small parts of bass fishing that we did as a family and short of maybe some coastal speckled trout fishing that we did as a family, which wasn't a lot of what we did, was exactly what you just described. It was cork fishing with some form of bait on the end of the hook. That is the bulk of what we did, and that is how we caught the bulk of the fish that we caught. So, very simple. And really, that's in my mind, that's the best place to start because it grows relatively quickly. As you get better at it, yep. and you can divert from that relatively easy. You know, you're going to start with, and you can buy worms, night crawlers, red wigglers, crickets. You can buy crickets, mealworms. You know, your story, I can vividly right now remember my dad and my granddaddy chasing green grasshoppers around the edge of my granddaddy's pond, That's right. feeding me green grasshoppers as fast as they could. And I was catching probably. 10, 12-inch bass as hard as I could. And I can remember that as one of my childhood memories of one of the, like, the funnest things I've ever done. Oh, yeah. You know. Had a blast doing it. So you do that, and you crickets, nightcrawlers, any real bugs of any sort really work. They sell baits in the store that are they're artificial, but they have a lot of scent on them mm-hmm. that go on the end of hooks. You know, there's a lot of different types of things that you can use that potentially will catch Bait shrimp on the end of hooks will catch bluegills. Bluegills. It'll catch anything. White perch. Yeah, white perch. It don't matter. You know, as long as it's got a scent to it or that it is live in, in some way. I mean, minnows of some of different right. varieties. Yeah, I mean, small minnows for yeah. crappie and bass. You can get a little bit bigger hook. Yep. You can make sure that, you know, a little bit bigger hook, maybe a little bit bigger pound test line. And you can start catching bass, stripers, catfish, any of that other stuff. Yeah. You can lose the bobber. Yep. And fish on the bottom. Yep. So it kind of, you can take those steps incrementally, but we're really only talking about about maybe $5 worth of tackle right yep. now. So, and also, Corey said a Snoopy pole. Some of you guys may be <laughs> a little bigger than that. Outgrown a Snoopy pole, let's just say. <laughs> but you can go to Walmart or a tackle store, really, really anywhere that sells tackle, and you can buy a relatively inexpensive combo. You know, it's probably already rigged with 10-pound monofilament on it. And to be honest, if you're in at an intro level, that will do you just fine. You know, yep. it's not going to last forever, but it'll last for several years. And if you keep up with it and don't leave it out in the weather and that kind of thing and, and wash it off if you've been in salt water or something like that, you know, it'll last a good while. Right. Then you haven't invested heavy in case, you know, you're like, well... This ain't for me. I mean, because that's the other thing. You go in a tackle store and you look at $300 fishing reels and $200 rods and you're like, I don't even know how to do this. I can't justify. I've been fishing for 20 years. I don't have $300 rods and or $300 reels and $200 rods. I, I just do. don't. I don't either. Yeah. And um, Maybe a fly rod in the mix somewhere, but, yeah. and I don't even use that as much as I should. So yeah. as far as my day-to-day stuff, it's nowhere near that kind no. of great. And yeah, it's nice, and yeah, I mean, there's when you look at the pros and stuff, they're using all kinds of fancy stuff, but you really just don't need to spend a f- small fortune to catch a fish, and that's what kind of what we're talking about Even today. though I have, but it's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, don't go in my garage. You'll <laughs> yes. be like, liar. <laughs> You're lying to me. <laughs> yes, it's my way of prepping. When, when, <laughs> yeah. When the end times are here, I'll be able to be live able off to of fish, fish. Yeah. or barter for or fishing. barter for fish with fish baits. Yeah, exactly. But no, I think it's this is great. I really think this is a worthwhile project. So you know, right now we're talking about live and or dead bait. Yep. The next rig, again, very simple, very easy to use. Same baits, maybe not the cricket. Maybe this is more like minnows, cut bait. Maybe you catch a brim and cut it up worms on the bottom is to take a hook, a small piece of fishing line, a swivel, and then an egg sinker. And that's called the fish finder rig. And it does that. It does exactly that. And you fish it on the bottom. You just put it down and you wait. And this is good. The bobber is great for kids because it's a little more interactive. The fish finder rig is more 
probably in my mind, I would use it more for catfish in mm-hmm. a local pond or local river. Yep. And you can put a hot dog on it. You can put chicken on it. You can put really any organic matter for that matter, you know. Once again, it's very simplistic. It doesn't take much to buy it. You know, once again, you probably only have $5 in it. I mean, I'm talking about the baits, right. the tackle, not the rod and reel, but you got $5 in it. It travels. You can catch, literally catch trout in the mountains and all the way to the coast. You can catch red drum and speckled trout and flounder using that very rig. Now, the bait on the end of the hook might change, but that rig will catch fish all across North Carolina because I've done it. I've done yeah, it with all that across rig. the country for yes, that matter. Yeah, for that matter. Yeah, exactly. But I have done it. I have caught. I mean, just this past fall, I caught red drum using that. I've caught trout in the mountains in the early fall using that very rig. So it doesn't take a whole lot. I mean, you might have to scale the weights up and down depending on the the heaviness of the weight, depending on what type of body of water you're in Mm -hmm. depending on how much current you got. But other than that, it's a pretty simple rig. So we talked about a number two hook, which is generally pretty good for brim, small catfish. Hook size is a... I mean, there's people that talk about that. And no hook is standard. Like, you can buy a, a one-alt of one brand and buy a one-alt of another brand, and they're not going to be and the same. And maybe very size. different. Maybe very, very different. So you have to kind of look at the hook yourself and make a judgment call on that. And that's what I mean. That's where I was going, so I'm glad you said that, is basically you want the barb of your hook to be exposed, and you want that bait to be able to wiggle a little bit. If the hook is just totally lost in mm-hmm. the bait, there's a chance that when that fish picks it up that you're going to miss that fish that maybe that's or it's going to foul hook into the bait which means the hook will turn into the bait instead of into the fish's mouth and you won't hook it so you just want to make sure that there's always a little extra room around your hook and that takes a little time of eyeballing it and that kind of thing but i guess what i would say is if you find yourself missing a lot of fish maybe switch to a little bit bigger hook and yeah. maybe that that'll help especially if your bait is really kind of at the same thickness of that bend in your hook yeah and i would say there's the other end of that spectrum you can go too big too sure you know sure. you can get hooks that are way oversized for the type of fish that you're catching i think back to fishing with tyler barnes and i don't even remember what were they 10 alts nine i think he's between alts. nine and 12 yeah between on nine and 12 i mean now he's catching very large catfish that is too big of a hook for a grasshopper that's not going to work if you're trying to put a grasshopper on so you know i'm exaggerating but you know what i'm talking about you really need to kind of balance and you'll figure that out that's not that hard to figure out that's not something that is overwhelming anyway when you go to buy hooks and again you buy three sizes at two, three dollars, maybe five dollars a pack of hooks, you're yeah. still not out that much, you no. know. So, and then the other side of that is if you find that your hook is too big or too small, you can always cut your bait bigger or cut your bait smaller, you know. Yeah. So, you still don't necessarily have to buy a one set of hooks. So, you know, we've talked about the live bait, live baiting either under a cork, live baiting by letting it just swim on just a bear hook sometimes is yep. always good. But when you walk into this tackle store, you're going to see a bunch of uh, pieces of plastic in bags and various colors, shapes, sizes. And I think that's really where it gets intimidating for a lot of people. Yeah, when you start going into artificial baits, just on soft plastic alone, you know, we're not even talking about hard plastic baits, but just in soft plastics. Sizes, shapes. Sizes, shapes, colors. Like, what in the world? And I would tell you, having bought a lot of baits in my life that all of that is marketing. That is marketing 101 is to make it flashy, make it colorful, make it a different shape, make it a different size in order for the person that's looking at it to purchase it. They're good at it. They've sold a lot of fishing baits across the world. You know, they've sold a lot of fishing baits to me. <laughs> so, and, yeah, and they continue to. And they continue to. Even though I, I know. Even though I know what they're doing, they continue to do it. But as a beginner... The thing I tell people and the thing I think about, especially when I'm talking to young people that are just getting into fishing is, once again, simplicity. Go with something that you think will work, that you think you can fish, that's fairly reasonable in cost. Go with one, maybe two colors, and we'll talk about colors in a minute, but one, maybe two colors, and kind of just say, all right, I'm going to stick with this, and I'm going to fish these. 
until I figure out a pattern on them. And then maybe you can branch out into something else. But it is such an intimidating, and we'll get into all the artificial stuff, I'm sure, at some level. But it's such an intimidation. Like if you go to a really big tackle store, it's wall-to-wall baits. I mean, there's some stores, like if you go to a saltwater store and you go to buy a mirror lure, which is a hard bait, that they use for or bass fishing. If you want a crankbait, there's three aisles yes, of crankbaits. If you want crankbaits, go to Bass Pro Shops and look at crankbaits. There's three aisles of crankbaits, and you're like, what in the world is going on? And I tell you, simplicity, you know, go simple and don't buy 500 colors of each bait or whatever. Just stick to some very basic things, and you're going to be, able, you got to learn how to fish them anyway. And yeah, pick something. Pick I'm going to do this. Yeah, I'm going to do this. Pick something, do that, and learn how to fish that. I mean, my dad learned how to fish topwater when he first moved to Newbern. You know how he learned how to do that? Fished it all the time. Yep. He fished the same basic two baits all the time. If they didn't hit it, he learned, okay, that's not the right conditions for that. But he'd fish it all day. He was bass fishing, Bryce's Creek. He'd fish it all day. And he learned where they were and what they were doing and what conditions worked for top water because that's all he did until he got comfortable with it. And then he went to something else. I'm going to tell you right now, you can go in my garage right now. He's lying to y'all. And yes, I have bought all of them. No, he's telling you the truth. <laughs> most of the time. You know, I have bought all of them. I've realized what I need yeah. and I've bought them all again. Now, though, that I've gone through that iteration, it literally is a paring down of everything that I own. And I was with a buddy the other day, and he'd done the same thing. I was like, wait, you don't have seven tackle boxes in the boat anymore? He was like, no, I just got this one bag. It's all I need. And I'm like, so proud of you, you know, because, I mean, you spend a lot of money, and you can take all that stuff on the boat with you, and you, at the end of the day, you're not going to throw it all. It's all going to get wet. It's going to rust. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. So just take what you need So just with a you. question for you, because I think I know the answer. I know what the answer is for me. If you go out and you go fishing and you're using artificial baits, because that's generally what you do, you don't live bait a whole lot. How many artificial baits do you, how many different types, not colors, how many different types of artificial bait will you throw in a given day? If, say, you're catching fish. When I, like, it was back to my bass fishing days, and my striped river fishing days is even less baits. I mean, that's like three baits. Yeah. But bass fishing, spinner bait, Crankbait, topwater bait, and some sort of soft plastic. And that's what I so throw all day long. So four types of baits. Yeah. Yeah. And, and generally, most people are only going to throw two to four mm-hmm. types of baits, given on the general conditions. So you don't need all of that to catch fish. So what I would say is if you're brim fishing or crappy fishing or perch fishing, white, either white or yellow, you're looking for a bait that's somewhere in the one to two Maybe three-inch range. That's right. Back to what we always talk about. Remember what they're feeding on. Right. You know, think about the size of the mouth that they have. Think about the type of bait that it, you're trying to mimic that with an artificial bait. And really, in that world, there's not but a handful of baits you even need to look at. You have soft plastic tubes and curly tails. One's just as good as the next. Buy whichever one you like. Yeah. Don't fall in love. There's small spinners, either like a beetle spin or like a rooster tail or a MEPS type bait, an inline spinner, and then small crankbaits. Yeah. And that's really your world. I mean, there's a few other things in there, but to be honest, when I'm broom fishing, I think I'm throwing a curly tail, two inch curly tail, yeah. 98% of the time. If I'm crappy fishing, I'm throwing that straight tail, as we yeah. talked about oh, with yeah. Cam. And that's it, you know, so basically a curly tail or a straight tail. Yes, yes, there's ones with three tails, there's ones with seven tails, there's some with wings, there's some with, you know, you can... <laughs> there's all kinds. You can do whatever you want to do, and if that looks cool to you and you want to try it, it's great. It probably won't work much different than anything else, though, because really, as much as we like to complicate fishing, they're either going to eat it or they're not. That's right. And normally it's some sort of reaction, especially with artificial mm-hmm. baits. And there's not a whole lot of difference between one bait and another as long as it's in the right. I think, it, in my mind, it has a lot more to do with putting that bait in front of that fish's face and knowing where that fish is yep. than the fact that it had 
gold fleck instead of silver fleck or that it had fleck at all in it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, if you're like you're talking about pan fishing, I mean, a white beetle spin and call it a day. Hard to beat. Hard to beat it. And if they won't eat it, they probably won't eat anything else. That's right. You might as well go home. I mean, not go home unless you just want to. We're not going to name too many names, but he's probably going to be on the podcast later this year. (laughs) He sent me a picture last year, and it was a bunch of baits all on the floor of his boat. And he says, these are all the colors that the fish are not biting today. (laughs) And I texted him back. I said, you see that one in the top right-hand corner? And he was like, yeah. I was like, they didn't hit that. You might as well go home, you know. (laughs) So... Some days that you can have all the colors yeah. and it won't help you. That's you know? right. I mean, so we said we we're going to talk about colors. We'll get back to size in a minute. But since we're talking about colors, to me, it really is maybe two or three categories. You go down the aisle of soft plastics. You're hey. looking at bass soft plastics. If you're looking at crappy lures, I mean, crappy probably has more colors than the bass maybe world so. does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But really, you have natural colors. Yep. And then you have crazy colors, your fluorescence, your bright colors. And that's really when I go fishing, that's where I'm at. Are they going to hit natural or are they wanting something really bright? Normally, the clearer the water is, the more natural, the muddier right. or the more stained it is, the more you can get away with crazy colors. I'm a crazy color guy. I like them. But I also find myself throwing natural a lot. So normally, I'll either buy one of each mm-hmm. or I will have one of each rigged up depending on what I'm doing. Yep. And within natural, there's light and there's dark. Yep. So basically I'm saying there's whites and silvers and then there's pumpkins and browns and yep. blacks. Yep. And dark blues. Yep. You can buy white, you can buy smoky gray or brown or green. I don't think the fish really know that it's gray, brown, or green. And then in the crazy colors, there's pinks, there's chartreuses. There's orange. There's some bright blues There's out there. There's some bright blues. Yeah. But it's just picking one of those. Chartreuse is, a, mm-hmm. you know, what chartreuse looks like in the I have no idea, natural but they world. do like it. But chartreuse is, if you're going to pick one crazy color, yeah. I would probably say chartreuse. If you're going to pick a second one, I might say something with some pink in it. Yeah. And really, that's it. That's it. That translates from brim to stripers to... Largemouth bass fishing, I mean, yeah, you can do all kinds of stuff, and there's probably somebody right now that's listening, but I don't know what you're talking about. I like the one that's blue on the top, silver on the bottom with orange, and if it works for you, that's great. That's great, yeah. We're just saying this is the starting point. If you see something in the store that you like, buy it and try it, you know? Yeah. Once again, don't fall in love with it. I mean, really, don't fall in love with it because, one, the color will probably be discontinued in a couple of years. So that's the first thing I'll tell you. So what was the color? What was the main color of the bait? You know, if it's got four colors on it and it's, you know, all flashy or whatever, what is it that the fish was actually looking at? Well, it was probably looking at maybe the silver side or the silver back of it. Maybe it had a little chartreuse in it or something of that nature. That's really what the fish is keyed in on. If they're even keyed in on a color, you know, if color is all that, and sometimes color is all that, I will say that. I've been fishing where... The only color of the day was X, and you better be fishing it. But then there's days they'll hit anything. I'll be honest, though. Those days are fairly rare. Yes. Yes. You know, they do happen where, yeah. yes, I had to throw something that yeah. was electric blue, or I wouldn't catch anything. And then the other times is, well, you just stumbled on something that you had confidence in. Yep. You were fishing it well. And generally, it's back to the family of colors. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're... On the natural colors, that's generally what they are hitting is natural colors. You could throw any of the natural colors right. and they would probably hit that. You might even be able to throw the light and the dark natural colors at the same day and they'd still hit it. They just didn't want they didn't want the bright some stuff. Sort of yeah, neon. Some sort of neon in front of them. Mm-hmm. But that vice versa, they might hit the neon one day and you could throw any of the neons and they wouldn't hit the natural. So it just the families of colors like you laid them out is pretty good indicator of what you need to buy and yeah. only buy a limited amount of them unless you just have more money you know what to do with. I mean, Corey has said don't fall in love with it. I understand what he's saying to some extent. But the other side is once you find something that works, I'm much more into, okay, 
if white flukes, because we've talked about that before. We have talked a lot about white flukes. If white flukes are something. They're not going to discontinue white flukes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> or pink flukes, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. If white flukes are something that you have found, like, I can catch fish in a myriad of different ways, in a myriad of different waters, well, then it's time to stock up. Yeah. Don't worry about the fact that there's all these other colors. You can say, well, this is what I work on and what I believe in. Yep. You know, it's much better to buy five packs of something that you have confidence in yeah. than it is to buy five packs and... Oh, yeah, of something you've never tried before. You know, yeah. maybe buy one pack of something yeah. you'd like to try. Yeah, something new. We do that all the time. Yeah. That's uh, how we keep uh, them in business. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, once you find something you need, I mean, I lost a bait today. I will probably, when I reorder that bait, I will probably get five to ten of that exact same bait in that exact same color. Because you love it. Because it's something that produces fish for me. And that's the whole thing. And if anything, of, you know, my garage full of tackle that I don't use, that's the one thing I'll say is find something that works and don't leave it. Yeah. You know, if it works, don't try something else. Yeah. You know, until that starts to fail well, on you. You know, a couple of years ago, because Ben and I like to... Do a little coastal fishing, in case you didn't know. We like to speckle trout, red drum, all that kind of stuff from time to time. We like to do all kinds of fishing, so we're not just... I'm, I'm ready that. to go musky fishing again, just because uh, that monkey is not off my back yeah, yet. Yeah, that's true. It'd be nice to catch a musky in check North the box. Carolina. Yeah. yeah, check the box. But if you've ever been to a tackle store, this is where it becomes overwhelming, and you go down the mirror lure aisle, there is... Oh, one, there's all kinds of shapes, but really the colors is just nuts. I mean, they got colors of all kinds of varieties. And you and I had a conversation a couple of years ago, and you were like, really only need five. Really only need five. And that goes crankbaits, bass fishing, that's my lizards. Point. Yep, that's my point, is that you can sit there and you can buy every color in the rainbow and have every one of them. This is a, a note on the podcast. Always buy another one of the one you just bought because you're going to lose that one and you're going to be catching fish and you're going to be like, I ain't got another one. So I always have two. It's nice to have a pair. You need a matching set. Need a matching set. So once again, this is how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> the fishing Especially bait. once you find out that it works. Yeah, yeah you that's know. right. That's, that's right. That's my point. But you said to me, you really only need five. You only need, and I don't even remember what those five were right now. I know white was one of them. Pink or chartreuse was another. Natural, silver, a gold. And uh, it might have been something else. I don't know. But it was In like topwater baits. Yeah. You really only need two, two or three. Yeah. You need something gold, something white or silver, and then like a chartreuse or a yeah, pink. Yeah, something real bright. You know. And it's because that's very reactionary. Mm -hmm. I mean, that fish is hitting that bait because it's all reaction. It's chasing something. Right. So we've spent a lot of time on colors, but I want people to understand that you can get swept up in the color fads of a fishing bait. I think that might be, especially if you're new to the game. Yes. I think that's maybe one of the, like, I don't know what color to get. I don't know. Yeah. You know, talk to somebody who's fishes, yeah. ask them what they use, find something comparable. It doesn't even have to be the same bait. And I will say when all else fails, buy white. Truth. When all else fails, buy white. In any kind of bait, white has worked. I mean, for me, I will say that. Whether it's down to, from the beetle spins to the mirror lures, even topwater baits that are white. Solid white topwater bait. solid white topwater bait. I mean, you think about a topwater bait, and yeah, it may oscillate from side to side, but really, they're only seeing the belly of yeah. it, and most of those are white on the belly. Yes, most of them are light-colored on the belly. Because most sport fish they're looking at, most sport are, fish white are white, on, white the on the belly. So they're looking up at it. So, like I said, don't be enamored with all the colors. Buy the colors you want, fish the colors you want, but really and truly pare it down. Once you start learning, just kind of pare it down to the colors that you know will work for you and stick with those. And if all else fails, buy white. Uh, I mean, it may be chartreuse. It may be a chartreuse. So we talked about size. And again, if you're looking for pan fish size, hand-sized fish, they're going to be in that one to two inch size bait range. Bass, stripers, most of your larger freshwater predatory fish are going to be somewhere in that three to maybe five inch bait. Not that you can't, and again, yeah. 
There's somebody listening right now that's a glide bait fanatic. And yes, <laughs> yes, you can take your $250 glide bait that's seven feet long and you can catch bass with it. This is not that podcast. We can talk about that at a different time. But day in, day out, if you're bass fishing, if you're striper fishing, something in the three to five inch, as far as your bait goes, is really all you need. I mean, our reservoirs are full of, and rivers for that matter, are full. Most of our forage fish are, you know, shad, sunfish, minnows, shiners, that kind of thing. And most of them fall into that three to five inch range. And there's all kinds of baits that are in that range. Sure. That will work. But yeah, I mean, so if you find yourself looking at 12 inch lizards, I mean, that might be what you want to throw. But again, now you're starting to get into a specialized, yep. special use. It's may, maybe, maybe not work all the time. But if you start saying, okay, well, I'm going to buy a three inch swim bait, which is a fantastic bait for a myriad of upper trophic level predatory fish like bass. I mean, just buy, buy a white swim bait. White swim bait. And Caught roll with so it. So many fish on a white swim bait. Yeah. So. What we're trying to do is say, you know, yes, there's a thousand things you can buy. There's a thousand things that work in the right situation. But if you're in there and you're like, I just need a handful of baits so I can go and try to catch fish again, back to the cork, back to that number two hook and some crickets. If you're graduating out of there, a beetle spin, rooster tail, something like that. Curly tails on the jig, the jig. Let's talk about jig size for a minute. Really? Eighth to a sixteenth on your smaller stuff is yep. generally good. Yep. If I was going to say best all around jig size for like bass and stripers, I would say quarter ounce. You yep. know, that's going to, you can fish it slow and get it deep. You can fish it faster and keep it shallow. But for the most part, it's going to be as the most versatile. If for you get you. above quarter ounce, you need to be in either really deep water or, or really, fast water. really fast water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah, so quarter ounce is very versatile for those larger species of fish that you're trying to catch. So we talked a minute about soft plastics for panfish. Let's talk about soft plastics for, oh, Lord, bass and stripers. Well, predatory fish. Let's just keep it general. Yeah. And Corey says, oh, Lord, because I just opened Pandora's box. It is Pandora's box. But, again, we're trying to take a little bit of the confusion out for you. There's basically minnow-style baits and then creature-style baits. Yep. And minnows are going to look like a minnow, and a creature's going to look like a crawfish or a lizard or uh, something crawling around the bottom. Or, and even to the fish, who knows what it looks like. Yeah, we don't know. They just work. And it could be that the bass in the moment thinks that that creature bait is a bluegill, and so he eats it. Yeah, that's right. We don't care as long as he eats it, right? That's right. But don't get too carried away in all of that. The more appendages that it has, you know, more flappy things that are attached to it, the wings and the thing, the more noise and vibration it's going to make in the water. And sometimes that's good and sometimes, and sometimes that's sometimes bad. sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. So what I would say is basically start with either a worm or a lizard, a five-inch worm or a lizard, Yep. white, green pumpkin, and I'm pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah, white and green pumpkin. I mean, you can go off the reservation if you want to. If I had to buy for bass fishing, especially the green pumpkin, June bug, something in that family. Yep. If I had to have one color to bass fish with, yep, that's not a bad place to be. And it doesn't matter what species of bass; they all eat it. Yep. I mean, whether it's a smallmouth, an Alabama spot, a largemouth, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mountains to coast, they eat that color. It doesn't matter if it's a worm, if it's a lizard, if it's a crawl style bait, if it's a creature bait. If I had to pick one thing to bass fish with, it would be something in that watermelon, green pumpkin, June bug, something in that family. You can do watermelon with a red tail. You can do it with a chartreuse tail. You can do it with a white tail. I mean, all those variations work too. The one thing, I'm going to sit on that one for a minute because I don't want to get us off track, although that's what we do most of the time. The other thing is, so that I'm looking for something that's going to be crawling on the bottom. The other presentation, and we kind of touched on it a minute ago with swim bait, is something swimming through the water. Yeah. And so that's going to be a swim bait, a paddle tail style bait that you actually put a jig head in. The swim baits are come pre-rigged with the hook. All you got to just tie them on. 
and then a fluke style bait, which we all know that I love desperately because they just look like a five inch minnow and every fish that I fish for eats five inch minnows. Yep. And they so, look like a, a lot of times they look like a wounded five inch minnow, look right. like something they can attack easily. Right. And so it just draws a lot of attention and it is a, it doesn't matter that fluke style bait. We talk about flukes a lot and we'll talk about flukes a little bit here in a minute. That fluke style bait, which is basically a single tail, it's not a, Sometimes a split tail. Sometimes they can have split tails, two tails, whatever. But it's all the same bait. But it's a flat, it's a narrow tail at the end. Mm -hmm. That bait works whether it's a two-inch bait, whether it's a five-inch bait, or whether it's a seven or eight-inch bait. That style bait, I don't care what it is, works for bluegill and works all the way up to the largest predators that we have in North Carolina. It works. Yes, I have some 10-inch, 12-inch flukes in my bag for big stuff. Yeah, it works everywhere. I mean, I heard somebody talk about a Rapala one time the same way. You know, a Rapala will never quit looking like a minnow, and that's why a Rapala or a jerk-style bait always works. And if you go back to the podcast where we talk about trout and catching trout, Jake talked about, what is that, the trout trick? Trout magnet. Trout magnet. The trout magnet. The trout magnet is... Not quite the fluke, but it's pretty doggone close to the fluke style. It's just pink in color. Mm-hmm. It's really small, but it's still, you fish it a lot like a fluke would be fished in current, and it works. So that style bait really transcends about every fish that you can fish for. And, you know, Corey said white, and white is great. You know, when you're talking about Natural baits, a lot of the natural baits will be kind of white belly with like a gray or a green That's back. Right. Mm-hmm. That works good too. Sometimes they'll have a chartreuse or a pink tail to add a little more flash to it, and that works as well. But again, we're still talking about natural, light and dark, and then something bright, either a chartreuse or a pink or a orange is a good color. And then one last thing on color, and then I'm going to get us off of color, is a contrast because sometimes that contrast having a light and a dark color on the bait is also good. So you could have, and that's what made me think about it is you can have a dark back with a light belly or a change in the tail, a green that goes to chartreuse, something like that also can help those fish pick it up, especially in dingier colored water. It's a lot easier. You know, it might scare them away in really crystal gin clear water, but in the murky water, a contrast in bait is often a good choice, you know, between a light and a dark. We hadn't talked about line at all. Brim, six pound mono. Yep. Bass, 10 to 12 pound mono. Let's keep it easy for keep folks. Keep it easy. Yep. You will go to the fishing line aisle and you will see a myriad of choices. Lord have mercy. Yes. But if you're basic, I think for brim six pound test for most bass fishing, smaller catfish, yep. stripers, ten to twelve pound mono is cheap and easy. If you're trying to catch something bigger than that, like a big catfish or something like that, you're gonna have to up the poundage of line. You know, think about the fish that you're trying to catch and how big it is. It's not that hard. Right. There's all kinds of line choices, but yeah. Starting out, let's just stick with mono. Yeah. We can get technical, but that's the problem. No. We don't want to get technical today. Yeah. You know. So I think we've been maybe a little too technical, and I would say to people... Go back to the bobber if you got lost. Yeah, and just be simple, whether it's the bait you're picking, the color you're picking, whatever it is that you're trying to do, just go simple. Until you learn it, go simple. I think you'll be disappointed if you go to the store and you buy, you know, $200 worth of baits in all myriad of colors and go fishing and you don't catch anything. Then you feel like you've wasted your money. And it really starts with those very simple purchases early on and just get good at that. Because eventually, if you throw it long enough, you're going to catch fish with it. So I got one more thing. All right. Because I know we're running short on time. No, we're good. Man, I'll sit here and listen to you all day long. We're good. That's not true either. No, that's not true. You're right. <laughs> I will leave. <laughs> one, let's go ahead and say a fish need water. Fish need water. Don't move fish around. Don't move fish You've around. You've done it. So that way, that's checked off the list. Yeah. Real quick, I know somebody's probably listening to that, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but where? So let's talk about that real quick. Around stump fishing, around stumps, fishing corners of a pond, 
Anything that's not homogeneous, yep. you know. Anything that's a different breakup of the habitat. Even if the shoreline changes from one grass to a different kind of grass. Anything that's a little bit different, anything that's a change, throw that bobber up against it. You know, a tree. You're going from shallow stump, water to deep water. You're on a point. A mouth of a creek. Mouth of a creek. Down here in the coastal plain, mouth of these little ditches that you see that come out. I mean, it might have a little bit different water quality coming out that holds fish right at the mouth of it. So any kind of change in habitat is really kind of a transition area is really where I focus a lot of my attention when I'm fishing. But fish also have tails and no homes. That's right. They swim. So you can take a cricket, flip it out there, and just wait. Yep. Give it 10 minutes. Nothing's there. Yep. Move it over 10 feet and see if there's something there. Just be patient, and eventually they will find a cricket if they're hungry enough to eat it, and they they don't pass them up very regularly. No, no. Most fish do not pass up live bait very regularly. No. If you're not catching fish on live bait, it might be time to go home. Or at least move. Or at least move. Yeah. You know, the one thing I would say about where and, and the focus is, is when you catch a fish in a spot to remember what that fish is, you know, what species you caught and where, kind of look at the habitats that are around you and look at, you know, if you have electronics, great, you know, look at it. If you don't, just kind of study the area, you know, physically from what you can tell, what do you think might have brought that fish there? And remember that because if they're there in that spot, if you find a spot that's very similar somewhere else down the bank of the pond or whatever, those fish likely will be there as well. Absolutely. When I'm learning in a new area and I catch a fish, the very next thing I'm either looking for with my eyes or looking on the map is let me find another spot that's exactly like this. You know? Yeah. I would also say remember that spot because year over year, a lot of times that spot will produce again on particular species. Like if you find bluegill beds, on the bank of a pond or the bank of the river, whatever. They will likely bed they there next year. They will likely bed there next year in that same general area, probably in the exact same spot. Even if you see them this time of year, yep. you need to remember that about April of next year. That's right. That's right. Because it's they tend to go back to, particularly in the spring, they tend to... They tend to reuse those bed That's areas. right. They tend to reuse the same areas over and over again. I mean... It really is true. I mean, like, it's true of all species, though. They're, it's true of trout in the mountains. They tend to use the same kind of habitats over and over again because they like being there. I mean, we like being in our homes. They like being in their homes. <laughs> so Even though fish have no homes, I know. They have no homes. But they do. But like, they do frequent areas. They do frequent areas pretty regularly. So keep that in mind. Well, I hope this helped. I hope this helps. Y'all email us. Email your district biologist yeah. if you don't know where to go. Yeah. They're going to say, hey, have you thought about this place? It's right down the road from your house. I would tell, you know, a little bit of follow-ups I should have mentioned while we were talking is, one, we have a program called the Community Fishing Program that I think there's 65-plus sites statewide. You can find them at where to fish mm-hmm. at ncwildlife.org. And those areas, we're actually stocking catfish in those places. And sometimes trout. And sometimes trout in the winter mountain trout in the winter and some of them have piers you can walk out on and fish some of them have bank areas that are allow you the opportunity to fish from the bank they're pretty much nominal fees to use them so they're pretty cheap to use or free or free depending on depending the site on where they, they're could at. Be, they could be free for sure but there's a community fishing program if you don't want to buy a tackle we have a program called the tackle loaner program it's a lot like going to the public library. You can get a card. You can rent out tackle, rods, reels, line, especially if you're a very beginner, you know, never had done this before. You can go rent those. And, and when I say rent, it's like you bring a card, they write your name down and they give you stuff and then you bring it back. They don't really charge you any money for it. I think there might be 20 of those statewide. They're generally around cities some kind of municipality that's a part of the program, but they're all over the state. They're not like located in one area. They're not like all around Raleigh or all around Charlotte. They're kind of all over the place. So you just have to look them up. Once again, you can find that at our website at ncwildlife.org as well, those locations. So you don't have to invest anything if you want to try it out. You can use our Tackle Loaner program and use that as well. So 
No, I think that's all good advice. And the main thing is just don't let it get overwhelming for you. Yeah. Just keep it basic. The more that I fish, the more I've gone through this whole iteration where I bought all the crazy stuff. And now my tackle is getting more and more and more basic yeah. because it's more about knowing where the fish are than to have every single bait in the world. Yeah. So. And it will be less overwhelming over time. Mm-hmm. The more you do it, like you said, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, the more of the baits that you like to use, and that's all you'll keep in your box. You won't keep all the other stuff that you tried and was like, eh, that's a failure. I don't like that. Right. So, well, which one you want to do first? Let's do the questions first. Do the questions first. Okay. I'm going to do this, this one last. So, we got uh, several different questions here. And again, you guys are emailing us questions and. That's great. This first question is about freshwater drum. He was on Car Reservoir, Bugs Island, depending on depending on who you are, where you're from. If you're from where I'm from, it's called Car Reservoir or Car Lake. We don't even call it Car Reservoir. If you live where I live right now, you call it Bugs Island. So take that for what it's worth. Right. I mean, one of us is right. We'll just leave it at I that. I understand. One of us is right. I call it both, depending on who's talking to me. Right. You got to match your audience. Yeah. But he caught some freshwater drum. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few places in the state where we have freshwater drum. It is. And he was kind of, you know, wanted to know a little bit more about freshwater drum. So, well, they're in the drum family. They're cyanid, just like the drum that are along like the coast. Red drum and black drum and trout, croakers. Croakers. And so they're in that family, but they're freshwater. They're native to the Mississippi Basin, so they're not native to the Roanoke. So they're not native. Somebody stocked them in there a long, long time ago. They were introduced, yes. which is, you know. We've talked about that, how that's happened. Fish were introduced. And so they they took hold there. Really, Carr and Gaston are the two places I get the most reports of mm-hmm. freshwater drum. They were native to our western rivers in the Appalachians, so all those rivers that flowed towards the Mississippi. We have actually reintroduce them to some of those rivers in the western part of the state, or we're trying to anyway, because they were native to like the French Broad River Basin where we went and did the musky work. Right. So there's two stories there. They can get quite large. In fact, they can get quite large. In fact, I've seen, I can't remember the state record, the last state record I certified, and I don't remember how big it was. I want to say it was 30-something pounds. Does that sound right? I can't remember it's now. Big. It was a big fish. The thing I like about them is they pull like a freight train. Yeah, they're like... They're you, strong. They are literally like a fish on steroids when you catch one. They'll pull you all over the place. And they will eat anything. Yep. They will eat artificials. Yep. They'll eat live bait. They'll eat dead bait. A lot of people catch them crappy fishing. Some people catch them catfishing. So you can catch them a multitude of ways that we've talked about today, whether it's the fish finder method. There's the, nothing yeah. we've mentioned today yeah, that wouldn't that work. that wouldn't catch them. That's exactly right. Everything that we've mentioned today would catch a freshwater drum. Are there any rules on freshwater no, drum? There are no. Again, they're not native. Yeah. So we kind of want you to harvest them yeah. to some extent. I've so. never eaten one. I don't know if they would taste how they would taste, actually. I don't have any idea. Maybe somebody will write in and tell us how good they are or not how good they are. I don't know. I would imagine, based on what I know about them, the smaller ones would probably be better than the oh, yeah. state record 30 pounders. I think that about all fish. So that's probably true. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. So. Let's see. This next question is from Mr. Brissy. He has a pond, and the dam keeps blowing out. Mm. It's been a drought. How is this pond blowing? <laughs> well, I went kind of... You went back on this one? Back okay. into some, because I just thought this was a unique question when no, I was good. looking for it. But he says, there's a pond at his hunting camp. A creek flows into it, and it keeps blowing out half the dam, which is clay dirt, which should be, make for mm-hmm. a good dam. Mm-hmm. What's the safest way to prevent this from happening and to keep it from leaking, you know, leaking out? So my first question might be, is this a legal pond? Yeah, it seems like he's got a lot of flow. And it may be that he's dammed up an area, and it could be an older beaver pond style. I, I don't know, but it could be that he's trying to hold back more water than the dam would allow. Yeah. Maybe his spillway isn't designed properly. I would put the spillway on the corner of the dam and not in the center. In fact, in a previous life, when I was a biologist in Alabama, I checked a pond <laughs> and their spillway was in the center of the dam. And I said, I, I think you need to get some equipment out here and move move this spillway over to the edge. Mm-hmm. And the, 
about a week later, there was this giant rainfall event and he called me and said, I wish I'd have listened to you. And I said, it did rain a lot the other day and it washed his whole dam out. So Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that, that it's fortified. It's got some rock on it, something like that. Also depends on when it rains to get some vegetation growing on it as soon as possible and not trees. Got to get it stabilized and not trees. That's right. Yeah. Get some sort of rye grass, barnyard grass, bahia grass, some sort of grass growing on it and and get that soil stabilized. And that'll also help it from blowing out. But the other thing is if you've got a big creek that's got water flowing through it all the time, then you're going to have water flowing out of your pond all the time. And so your pond dam has to be designed in a way that can handle that. And if it's not, it's going to continue to erode. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting question. Yeah. The last one, I don't know how Corey's going to feel about this. He didn't see the questions ahead of time. <laughs> I like them that way because it makes me think while right, I'm doing it. Right. Yeah. And this could be a softball because we're doing part of this right now. Oh. How does your agency build trust and credibility with the public in order to effectively educate and get buy-in into management practices? Wow. <laughs> a softball. <laughs> This is our biggest challenge, it is. aside from it's a huge knowing challenge. the fish and knowing what's going on. We don't have enough time on this podcast to cover this question, right? but I'm going to give them my stump speech. This is my stump speech. It's been my stump speech for probably the last seven or eight years, more soapbox speech, ever how you want to look at it. We are trying to get buy-in from the public. We are trying to meet with y'all to talk with y'all about the biology that we do, why we have to regulate certain things certain ways, and we are working towards that. That's one of the points of this podcast. Is why I wanted this podcast was to be able to discuss the work that we do on a level that helps hopefully everyone in some form, hopefully maybe sometimes be entertaining, but really to share the information that we have. And it is one of the hardest things. I've been doing this now for over 20 years and is one of the hardest things in the world is to meet with the public in a way that we can have a conversation. We are doing better at it than we used to, in my opinion. I think we are sharing data a little bit better, trying to meet with the public in different ways, whether it's through social media, whether it's through videos, whether it's through meeting face-to-face. But one of the things I would tell you is is that it takes you all listening as well to interact with us. It takes you all contacting us, asking us questions, asking us to come meet with your group, asking us to come talk about the biology that we do. And it takes an open conversation. It takes both sides sitting down, listening, talking to one another. That's really the only way that we can have that interaction and have that involvement. And without that, it will always be like in two separate places. And that's not what I want. And I don't think that's what our agency wants. I know that's not what Ben wants. No. And so we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We want our biologists to engage with you so that you can have open conversations. Because every time I have a conversation with a member of the public or a member of an organization that fishes or whatever it might be, I learn a lot. Hopefully they learn a little bit from us, but I definitely learn a lot. I learn every time I have one of those conversations. That's my stump speech. There's a lot in there to unpack. There is. And I'm going to maybe simplify it because this is what I have to do with my life because I have a small fish brain. And you're a parent of a small child, so you have to have simple life. Truth. (laughs) You know, really, in all honesty... We do a lot of great work. We do a lot of fish surveys. If you think that no one sampled this area, you're probably wrong. You're probably not correct. It may have been a while, yeah. but we have been to nearly every piece of water in this state in some shape or form. Yep. And I tell my folks this all the time. I've even said it so much that I've heard Corey say it to other people, is that if no one knows about the work that we're doing, it's exactly the same as if we didn't do it. That's and right. So I, on my end of things... I'm very passionate about getting the information into you guys' hands. And you don't have to agree with it. We can have a discussion about that. Like, I want to hear from you when you're mad. I want to hear from you when you're happy. I want to hear from you when you're confused. You can be yelling at me. I still you know. I need to know what the concerns are, what the praises are. I need to know the good, the bad, the ugly. 
everything so that we can help you guys out the best because we work for the fish and we work for you guys. We don't just work for either group. Yeah. And so if you're trying to under, well, I don't know why they do that. Well, call us. We'll tell you why we had to do it. You know, the other thing I want you to know, and I think this is the biggest thing that this podcast does, is that if you're an avid fisherman, I am not dissimilar from you. And I think about Hopefully things. Hopefully you can hear that in our voices. Yeah. I mean, I'm fishing a lot. <laughs> so, you know. A lot more than me. I envy you. I wish I fished as much as you do. And so anytime we make a decision, the fact that it would or can impact fishermen is the first thing that comes to mind is like, yes, I agree for the benefit of the fish stock. We have to do this, but, and this is how the anglers will think and see about this. And so that is something that not only do we consider, we consider it heavily as far as how it goes. Yeah. The last thing I'll say, and we can move on is you touched on it. We do this for the fish, but we do this for the public. We are servants of you guys that are listening. I mean, this is a public service. So if you want to know something, you need to just contact us. We need to do a better job of getting our word out, but definitely just contact one of us or one of the local biologists and we will share anything and everything that we have. You know, I'm not an expert in everything that has scales in North Carolina, but I know the person. I know a person that might. So, and we'll get you in touch with that person. So even if you got sent us an email and we farmed you out, we didn't farm you out because we didn't have time. We farmed you out because we gave you to the best person who could answer that question. That's right. And the last thing I would say is that, yeah, we make decisions from time to time that are really hard and we labor over those decisions because we know it impacts our anglers and we know it can negatively impact our anglers. And those are very, very difficult decisions. And when those decisions come out and and you guys are upset or whatever about that decision, just pick up the phone and call us. Let's have a conversation about it. And we don't always get it right. We're humans. We make mistakes too. So just pick up the phone, have a conversation. Let's talk about it. The decision may change. The decision may not change. We can at least tell you how How we got there. The how and the why. The how and the why. How and why we got there. We can at least tell you that. That may or may not help the situation. And it could be that we're not happy with it either. Yeah. It just is what it is. There's some decisions we've made in the past few years and we're going to make in the, probably in the future that I'm just like, man, I wish we didn't have to do this. It's just terrible. I wish we didn't have to do this. But for the betterment of the state and of the fisheries, we have to. So those are some difficult things. Okay. I'm glad we didn't make that whole podcast because that's tough. Yeah, you know? that's a, yeah. But it's worth talking about. Yeah. We've talked about it long enough. <laughs> we're truly <laughs> getting some swag. We've mentioned it veiled a yeah. couple times, but we're truly, we're getting yeah, some baits. I'm excited about it. I think it's great. We're getting some baits that we, they're the only place in the world that you can get these baits is from us. At least the color. For now. Yeah. For now. So, Let's talk a little bit about the bait. I'll give you a guess what it might be. We spent a fair amount of time (laughs) in this podcast talking about about straight tails. (laughs) Yeah. So we have uh, partnered with a local company out of uh, Dunn in Deep Creek Lures. Good folks over there at Deep Creek Lures. And they have basically designed a color for us that we picked out. I don't even know what the bait is Swim shad, slim shad. What? What is it? It's a fluke style bait. It's a fluke style bait. I can't remember what the the model the, the is. The model's called. The I model's can't called. Either. I can't remember it. But it's a fluke style bait. It's round. You can skip it for those of you yeah, who like skipping flukes. You can skip it, and it has a couple of colors that we love in it. It's white and chartreuse and chartreuse. So it's. It is our design, but it's not novel. It's not new. It's, yeah. oh, somebody's out there like, oh, they come out with a white and chartreuse fluke. Never thought of that. Yeah, it's not original. <laughs> yeah. It's just something we put together using their technology to yeah, do. Exactly. So, and the white is a different, it's their kind of. It's a different color. Their white is kind color. of a clear pearlescence. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool looking bait. And the name, Ben? What's the name, Ben? Because the name is so important. (laughs) We did not want to... What's the word I'm looking for? Any copyright infringements? Copyright or smearing of companies. (laughs) Any vanilla cream filled, (laughs) banana flavored 
<laughs> confections. Yes, that's right. We didn't want to besmudge or get in trouble. Fine confections at all. Yes. So what we decided to do was the name of the color is going to be called Curse Breaker. <laughs> Some of you may know exactly where that came from. If not, you can call us and we'll tell you. Or listen to previous podcasts. Yes. Any ones with curses in the name. So Right. So we've named it Curse Breaker. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be great to be able to give away. We've also got some other assortment packs that we're getting from them as well to give away. In my mind, we do this this year. Maybe next year we do something that's a little more natural, like yeah, we talked about today. That's right. You know, this was a bright colored bait. Maybe next year we do a little more natural one. You know, we'll just see. So, yeah. And then we, we got something else. Yeah, we got shirts coming, fishing shirts. Shirts. Yeah, so we also partnered with another North Carolina company in Carolina Waters. They're out of Sanford, North Carolina. And we got some sun shirts. Actually, I think they're out of Ramsour. Yes, well, same general vicinity, people unless from you're from that <laughs> people area. People from Sanford are like, I ain't from Ramsour. And people from Ramsour are like, I ain't from Sanford. Right. So I think they're out of Ramsour, generally central part of the state. Mm -hmm. But they have great shirts. I have some. Ben, I know, has some. We know them fairly Good well. Good folks. And uh, it'll have our logo on the back. and. We'll be giving those away as well. And so we're excited about that. And all that's in the new year. So glad for 2024. What we're going to do is... What we're going to try to do. Try to do, as long as we have supplies. Yeah, as long as we have supplies, which we should for this year. We're going to... All the people that send in questions each month, we will put all their names in a random drawing. And we will draw out a name each month. And we'll announce them at each month podcast. And they will get a swag bag or whatever you want to call it and it'll have a shirt and it'll have baits in it and it'll probably have some of our stickers in it and if we can find something else maybe something else yeah while supplies last while supplies last so we'll do that each month so send in your questions when you send in your questions send your name send your mailing address and contact information and probably your shirt size would be great as well so we don't have to go back and ask you yeah and we'll randomly draw and pick one and we picked one for the month of january mr jeff witt Mr. Jeff Witt, do we know where he's from? We don't. I've emailed him and asked for his okay. address. We don't know so where he's from. We don't so know where he's from. Congratulations, Jeff. Thanks for listening. So thanks for sending in your questions. What I will say is since we're going to do it on a somewhat monthly basis, if you have a question, you should ask. Yeah. You might be the only person. That's right. You never know. So don't forget about it. Send us a question. We'll be happy to answer it. We're going to get you an answer either way. We may do it on We're air. We're also going to be at some fishing shows this year. We'll be at different ones. We'll try to announce those You'll on our see social us in, media. In Raleigh yep. and in Greenville for sure. Yep. And so those shows, we'll have a few that we'll give away to different folks that that walk by randomly. So, so come see us at, at these shows as well and ask questions there as well. I'm excited about that. I'm as excited about that as I am about going and fishing with a green grasshopper as soon as I can now. Yeah, I know. That's brought back some uh, good memories. I hope this podcast has been helpful to those that are just starting out. Don't be overwhelmed. Think simple. And I think you'll do fine. That's right. We appreciate y'all listening to us. Thank y'all. Thank you for listening to the North Carolina Wildlife Resources Commission's podcast, Better Fishing with Two Ball Biologists. For more information, please visit ncwildlife.org or email us at twobaldbiologist at ncwildlife.org.